Ethan, what was it that you said earlier? He is risen. I've, I was going to say I've always wanted to do that, but I have never wanted to do that, and that would be not good. If you know anything about me, you know that that is not, that is not me. Um, happy Easter, though, and uh, it's good to see you guys. Um, this is probably the most people we've ever had at an Easter service ever, which is funny because uh, Usually, most churches have a higher attendance on Easter than average. We tend to have a lower attendance on Easter because so many students are involved in our church, so many people go and visit home and things like that, and so obviously, we're having it a little bit later so that uh, some people can join us that may have also visited family this weekend, and so it's just good to be able to celebrate uh, this holiday with you guys. Um, Although, I will say this. Uh, it's a little ironic that I'm the one that's preaching on Easter. Uh, if you know me at all, I'm generally not a big fan of Christian holidays. Um, and uh, so in, in some ways that's ironic, but it's ironic because, you know, I don't generally like Christian holidays because I feel like they tend to have, especially in our culture, this focus on um, I don't know, they kind of get boiled down to these like feel-good, like family holidays more than uh, actually really remembering what it is that we're, we're here to um, celebrate, I feel like. Uh, it doesn't have to be like that, you know, but, you know, when there's the pastel colors and the Easter egg hunts and, you know, the, the bunny rabbits, I'm sure there's some reason why you know, that's symbolic of Jesus' resurrection. I don't know it. Uh, okay, and so I, I think I get a little irritated sometimes when I see stuff like that. Um, same thing with, I would say, even like Christmas. I feel like there tends to be this over, like, romanticization of, like, you know, the baby in the manger and, you know, the three wise men and stuff like that, and I have a hard time with stuff like that. So um, today, really what we're going to do is, is we're going to take a look at the resurrection story and um, really hopefully get at the heart of, of what's going on here and, and take a serious look at this story and understanding its significance instead of, um, you know, kind of just dreaming about the stone being rolled away or, uh, you know, even uh, reciting the, the he is risen, he is risen indeed thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it, it, the, the, the Easter story is, is not about things like that. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of scripture that we dig into today. Um, I think that that's really important, especially when we're studying this particular subject. Uh, I really want you guys to see the truths um, of the death and resurrection story uh, in the Word, you know, that I'm not like, you know, kind of deriving some meaning from this on my own, but that it's pretty clearly, I think, stated in the Scriptures uh, as we dig into it. This is what God said in His Word. And so um, today we are talking about Jesus being resurrected from the grave. That's what we're going to dig into um, we're actually going to start with his death, even though, uh, you know, I guess that's like a Good Friday thing. I feel like you can't really separate these two events. We're going to start with the death of Jesus in Matthew 27, uh, and uh, that's kind of where we're going to be. So, oh, the lights are on. Thank you. Um, so before we, before we do that, let's pray, and then we can dig right in. God, um, Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to really uh, engage with your word tonight, to hear from you. God, I believe that you're there. God, I believe that you um, are here and you want to speak to us, God, and you want to engage with us, Lord. So um, we just ask that you would do that, Lord. God, we thank you for sending your son for us. God, we thank you for all of the meaning that's wrapped up into that and, and just how much you love us. God, you're so good to us. We don't deserve it. 
And uh, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick up in Matthew 27. Uh, this is right in the middle of Jesus being crucified. So, um, I don't know, like I said, I have so much scripture tonight that I was like, I'm just going to pick a section out of this instead of reading like the entire chapter or something. But this is right in the middle of Jesus being crucified. It says this starting in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, This man really was God's son. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and ministered to him there were there, looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Okay, so um, like I said, I have a really difficult time separating the death and resurrection for obvious reasons, so we're talking about the death of, of Jesus first and really the significance of that. Um, so we're going to lay that kind of foundation before we talk about his resurrection. And so Jesus was crucified here. Um, he, was, he was killed. He was crucified for us. Um, and so many of you have probably heard the phrase that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. I think there's a lot of meaning packed into that short phrase. Um, for me, I, I grew up, uh, you know, believing that I was a Christian, uh, but I didn't really understand what that phrase meant, that Jesus had died for my sins. If someone asked me what it meant to be a Christian back then, I would have said just that, you know, that, well, you know, I believed in Jesus whatever that meant, and that Jesus had died for my sins. But I didn't really understand what that meant. That Jesus died for my sins. What does that even mean? Why did he do that? And why did he need to, to die for my sins? Because generally speaking, when I think about like all the wrong things that I've done, all the sins uh, that I have committed, I don't even really conceivably understand how someone could die for my sins. Like, I don't know if I don't know if you have ever been in that boat. I, I, to me, those things seemed wholly unrelated, like saying somebody could like, pump gas for my sins, you know, or like, that somebody could, could go and get a college degree for my sins. I was like, why, why do people say this? Why do people say that, that Jesus died for our sins? Uh, and so what I want to do is own in on something that happens in Jesus' death here in this passage uh, that I think helps explain this. This is in verses uh, 50 through 51. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. So this is when he dies. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. Okay. The curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. So uh, to help explain this, I have, uh, this, there's this commentary I was reading when I was, I was digging into this today. Uh, there's this commentary from this man named Alexander McLaren. Um, and he kind of says this when he's talking about the sanctuary, the temple, and things like this, so that we can kind of understand what's going on here. 
as I suppose we are all aware, you may not be, uh, I, I don't know how many of you are, the Jewish temple was divided into three parts. You had the outer court open to all, the holy place to which the ministering priests had daily access to burn incense and trim the lamps, and then the holy of holies, where only the high priest was permitted to go, and that but once a year on the great day of atonement. For the other 364 days, the shrine lay silent, untrodden, dark. Between it and the less sacred holy place hung the veil, whose heavy folds only one man was permitted to lift or to pass. To all others, it was death to peer into the mysteries, and even to him, had he gone at another time or without the blood of the sacrifice, death would have ensued. And so, when it says that the curtain in the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom, it's referring to this curtain between the holy place and uh, the holy of holies, right? And so, and we'll get to the significance of of that curtain tearing in, in a minute, but why is it that only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies? It's important. And even then, only once a year or else he may die. And the short answer is this. We cannot be with God as a result of our sin. We cannot be with God as a result of our sin. Our sin separates us from God. God is so immeasurably holy and different and perfect And we are so far from that same standard that it would be a death sentence to be in his presence. Okay? This is why there's this curtain. This is why there's only one person that can go into the Holy of Holies. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. He has this vision where he's he's right in front of God. I think this really well kind of illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. It says this, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so Isaiah, standing before the Lord, and he's seeing just how, how glorious, how holy, how perfect God is. And what's his response? Woe to me. Isaiah thought he was going to die. I mean, can you imagine being in front of a, a, of a God so holy and perfect that upon sight of him, you think, I'm going to die? That is the kind of God that we worship. And then one of these angels comes in and touches this coal to his lips and takes away the guilt of his sin, which, by the way, I think is representative of the very Christ we're talking about today. But the point is this. We cannot be where God is as a result of our sin. And the reason for that is this. Because of our sin, we owe a debt. Because of our sin, we owe a debt. Uh, Romans 6 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is to say that what we deserve because of our sin, 
This is all of us, okay? This isn't just some of us. All of us are deserving of this. What we deserve because of our sin is death. What we deserve is judgment from God. Uh, earlier this semester, Grant, in, in one of his sermons on the Lord's Prayer, talked about this idea of debt. Uh, he actually gave this illustration that I thought was very helpful. Um, he talked about how when you forgive a debt, it doesn't just go away. When you forgive a debt, it doesn't just go away. What you're really doing is taking on that debt yourself. So if someone asks me to pay their rent for them because they're short on cash this month, uh, and later if I find out, well, they can't pay me back, and so I'm just going to forgive them that debt, what happens? Well, I absorb the debt. Right? I take on that debt myself. I end up being the one that pays it. Right? The cost of that debt goes to me. And this is so important as we consider Christ's death on a cross. When Jesus died, he did die for our sins. But what that means is that he died to pay the debt that we owe. He lived the sinless life so that he could pay the debts of all mankind by dying a sinner's death on the cross. And, and, and see this, because of this, the veil was torn. And I hope you see the symbolism in this. Because with the payment of Christ's death, with that free gift, we can enter into God's presence. We get to have a relationship with God if we receive this free gift. If we receive the free gift of Christ's forgiveness, if we have faith in Christ and in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, we get to have a relationship with God again. We can be with God this is an essential and foundational idea in the Christian faith. We never move on from this. And that's why we're, we're talking about this here today. Over and over again, I, I know for me, I see how even this week I still need that forgiveness. I'm still so in need. I'm reminded of the debt forgiven all the time. And I've done nothing to earn this. The word says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have to see, we've done absolutely nothing to earn this grace and love that God has extended to us. We've done nothing. It's not, it's not like, well, God saw that like, we were kind of giving it our, our best shot, and so he came and died for us. No, we've done nothing. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is why Christ died. He died to pay our debt so that we could have a relationship with God again. And that is so significant. But the story is not finished. And so we're going to read the resurrection account. That's why we are all here today. And so let's talk about that. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. This is what we're going to look at. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath... As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the woman, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. 
He is not here, for he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And so Jesus dies the sinner's death on a cross, and he pays for our sin, he pays our debt. And then he resurrects from the dead three days later. And for a long time, even after I became a Christian, I actually didn't really understand the significance of the resurrection. You know, it made sense to me. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died in my place to forgive my sins, just like we talked about. So then, why did he need to resurrect? Like, what was the significance of that? Why did Jesus need to rise from the dead? I want you to imagine... Uh, for a moment, that you are one of his early disciples, one of the people that were, were following him around. Um, and, and the guy that you'd been following around for years uh, suddenly is killed in this manner. What do you do? The Messiah you'd been following around has just died. Uh, it seems like everything's fallen apart, right? Now, now his disciples hadn't yet realized or understood that when, when Jesus was talking to them about, hey, like he told them uh, that he was going to die and be raised on the third day, they had not yet understood that, but I don't know, give them some credit because I'm going to go ahead and remind you that they had never seen anyone rise from the dead before uh, because that had never happened. And so um, try to put yourself in their shoes. Uh, and, and, and they, honestly, a lot of them just kind of returned to what they were doing before. When Jesus raises from the dead, we find that he actually finds his disciples fishing, some of them fishing, uh, which was kind of the profession that many of them had had before they became his disciples. Uh, And so they probably thought, well, show's over. I I don't know what's going on, but I guess I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing before. And so just imagine the scene as we discuss the first reason the resurrection is significant. And that is this, Jesus proves to us that his payment went through. His payment went through. I mean, imagine being the disciples. And even if you fully understood that Jesus had to die and pay the penalty for your sins, and in those three days following Jesus' death, wouldn't you be like, so did it work or not? (laughs) Are we good? I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty huge thing to just hedge your bets on, right? Like, am I forgiven? Am I okay in God's sight or no? Right? You'd have no way of knowing if it worked. And I don't think that you'd be likely to bet your life on Jesus if he didn't resurrect, right? Especially how they had been feeling. I'm, I'm going to guess that after seeing their friend and teacher that they had been following around for years die in this manner, right? He had just been showing them all these things and uh, teaching them how to follow God. And then he was killed in this really tragic fashion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that they thought they lost, right? Like that they thought that, well, I mean, because many of them thought that Jesus was going to, to come and be this political leader and like overthrow Rome and all of this. Uh, and instead he's humiliated and murdered. And so I'm going to guess that they were probably like, well, I don't really know what's going on here. I guess I'm just going to go back to what I was doing before. 
Without the resurrection, the disciples would have no way of knowing if Jesus' payment for our sin debt went through. It probably would have resulted in them moving on with their lives, and it probably would have resulted in Christianity just dying outright. Kind of along along with this, and perhaps more significantly, the next reason the resurrection is so significant is this. This is crucial. Jesus proves to us that everything he said was true. This kind of goes along with the last one. You might be able to pair them together. I don't know. I made them two separate points. You guys have to understand, the entirety of our faith rests on the resurrection. It all comes back on this one thing. If Jesus rose from the dead... We ought to listen to everything he said. If he did not rise from the dead, we should all do something else with our lives because he is a fraud. Andy Stanley says this, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. I think that's a fair assessment. If Jesus predicted his death and resurrection, and pulls it off, it's safe to assume that this man was who he says he was. Right? And that is to say that he was God in the flesh. That is to say that Jesus can be trusted with our salvation. It's to say that he's worth giving up our lives for. It's to say that in him alone can we have life and life abundant. And there's a whole host of other things that he taught about what it means to pursue him, follow him, and love him that we ought to pay very close attention to if Jesus did rise from the dead. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who Uh, Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Saying, hey, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, what you're doing is very pointless and you are the most to be pitied because you are wasting your time. If Jesus beat death, Jesus rose from the dead and that is something nobody had ever done before, then he's more powerful than we can imagine and is worth worshiping and submitting our lives to. He's worth everything. And so for you, if you're a Christian, becoming truly convinced of this has a deep significance on how you live your life. Are you convinced? Do you believe that this is true? If you do, your life will change. Alternatively, if you don't know Jesus or you aren't sure about this Jesus guy, this is a really good place to start. Investigate the resurrection. Because if you find that it's the most reasonable to believe that Jesus did rise from the grave, and I do believe that that's the most reasonable thing, then we ought to fall at his feet and submit our lives to him. Okay, so those are the first two, right? Jesus proves to us that he, everything he said was true. The, the last thing is this. In the resurrection, Jesus models resurrection for us. He models resurrection for us. In resurrecting from the, the grave, Jesus is showing us that we too can be raised to new life. 
The Bible calls Jesus the first fruit of those who have died, and that because Jesus has beaten death and has been raised from the dead, we too can have new life. Now, this is one of those situations, um, we come back to this phrase a lot, um, it's kind of one of those already but not yet situations, right? And that, that if we believe in Jesus, we can already have new life here on earth in part, right? Like we have this new life with Christ. We get to walk with him for the rest of our lives. And yet, it's one of those things that, that resurrection in its fullness will also come later. It's already but not yet kind of thing. And so, as it pertains to new life on earth, the Bible calls us a new creation once we become believers in Jesus. I don't think that this is just symbolic, okay? It's not like a, it's not like a fun phrase uh, to, to just throw around, but that once we have faith in Jesus, that the Bible tells us that his spirit is put inside of us, and that from that point, we are dead to our sins and our former self, and that we are alive in this new spiritual way. This is true of you if you have faith in Jesus and he begins to change us from the inside out. He enables us to love more like him. This is one of the things I noticed the most when I became a believer is that God taught me how to love, taught me how to care a little less about myself and a little more about those around me. He empowers us to care about the things that he cares about. He gives us this kind of life and fulfillment that's not available in anything else. We were designed to walk with God. We were designed to be in relationship with him and anything else will never satisfy us. And this is kind of what we see in the disciples' lives. Something happens to them. We see that uh, uh, before Jesus' death and even after his death, they were afraid they abandoned Jesus when he was going to be killed. And, and even when he was killed, they, for the most part, you know, seemed to return to their normal lives. After that, something happened. And they spent their lives for him. They were willing to die for the cause. I believe that something was the resurrection. This is kind of what the scriptures tell us. Jesus resurrects from the grave. He appears to them. They were given his spirit and made new creations, and after that, they were willing to die. Yeah, yeah, this is worth it. You can torture me, you can kill me. I know what I'm living for. That was the attitude of their lives. What we see is that their lives were changed forever. They were changed from the inside out. They were living in this, this already aspect of resurrection. God gave them a new heart. And as a result of their new salvation in Christ, their lives changed forever. The things that they cared about changed. Like, I noticed this a lot whenever I first became a Christian. Like all the things I cared about changed dramatically. What I want to do with my life, you know, where I want to spend my time, the type of people I want to pursue relationships with, even just like the type of you know, women that I was maybe interested in pursuing and dating and stuff like that, all of that changed. This is something that we're going to actually look into over the next few weeks. Um, last week, we talked about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This week, we're talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. In the next few weeks, we're talking about, like, everything that follows, what the church did as a response to this, like, what new life has looked like for them. 
And so I'm excited to, to teach on that a little bit. Uh, that's kind of a teaser. But new life here on earth, the Bible calls this new creation. And then the, the other aspect of that is resurrection in fullness. Now, the thing about resurrection in, in its fullness, this is something that I feel ill-equipped to teach on, if I'm honest. And so when I was just like reading uh, some scripture and, and thinking on this, um, I was just like, let's just read this. It's, this is this long passage in 1 Corinthians 15. I think that it explains a lot of this stuff in a way that's much better than I can. And so let's, let's read this together and just really dwell on these truths. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 40, the, the second half of verse 40. The splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. That's talking about Jesus. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the, imper er, the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will, be, we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality." When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I really don't know what to say about this. Jesus has beaten death. And if we trust in his sacrifice for us, we can be saved and we can be made new in this life and we will be made fully new in the life to come. Thanks be to God. That's what this says. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I don't know where you're at today. I mean, maybe, maybe a huge part of that is just being reminded of the truths that we're seeing here. Being reminded that Jesus paid our debt. I know I've been reminded of that a lot this week. He paid my debt. He paid the debt that I owed. And so not only did he, he pay that, but he invited me into this life with him.
And we get to live resurrected. Here and now. So maybe you just need to be reminded of that. Maybe you're in a spot where you've not yet given yourself over to Christ. You know, all of this is so... This story... There is no other story that's more important to be told. This is the most important event that has ever happened in human history. And it's all because God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. And so, if you've not received that gift, it is a free gift, I just encourage you to talk to somebody about that, to ask. There will be people in, in the back that are going to be willing to pray for you and with you and talk to you about that. I'll be back there as well if you'd like to talk more about this. There's nothing more important. Like God sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we might know him again. The veil was torn. Guys, this is this beautiful uh, uh, story. This is this beautiful, it's really, it's history. It's not just a story. This is what happened. Jesus raised from the dead for our good. So um, I just hope that we can really dwell on these truths and and praise him and worship him and connect with him uh, during the rest of our time here. So uh, let's pray and, and Uh, we can worship together. God, um, we don't deserve you. God, we (laughs) we all have owed this debt to you. God, we owe you our lives. God, the only thing you owe us is judgment and instead you've given us love. God, and we thank you for loving us like that. God, you're so much better than anything that this earth has to offer, Lord. And I just pray uh, really for everybody in this room, Lord, that we would hear from you, connect with you. God, that we'd respond to you. God, we know that you love us. You showed us that by sending your son. And we just pray... um, really that you'd help us to to hear from you and to love you all the more. God, you're so good. Thank you for loving us first. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.